0: Amen. Please be seated. If you are an elementary school kiddo, kindergarten through fourth grade, you can head out these doors there to Mr. Duncan. If you're a fifth, sixth or seventh grader, you can walk out back and they will corral you back that way. So, good morning. Uh, my name is Brandon Scott. I am uh, the other pastor here at the Vine. There's just uh, the two of us. So, uh, And uh, today we're going to be continuing through the book of John. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you don't, you can grab one of those Bibles over there or open your phone or whatever it is you want to do. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5, starting in verse um, 24. So after today, uh, we will have spent three weeks on 14 verses. So um, that's uh, moving along at a clip of right about four and a half verses a week. There's 879 verses, I think, in John. So if you do the math on that... We're going to be here a while, but that's okay, um, because uh, we're not really in a hurry. Uh, I mean, the worst thing that happens is Jesus comes back, and then we're good, right? So I guess if we're studying through the book of John when he comes back, we're doing all right. So, uh, but the reason we've kind of slowed down in this chapter is because there's a whole lot in here, and it's kind of like if, you, if when you're on a hike, and uh, if you're like real task-oriented, you want to go, 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 uh, and just get to the top of the mountain, but when you're with kids, what do kids want to do? They want to gather rocks and eat berries and smell flowers and but don't eat the wrong berries because you get sick. And so there's all these things that kids, because kids are exploring the whole time. They're enjoying the journey, and that's what we're really doing. We're slowing down a little bit, and we're trying to mine some of the riches of this passage. And so today, like last week, uh, you need to put on your thinking caps, and if you need to go grab a little more coffee or something, that's okay. As long as you come back, I mean, if you go get coffee and then stay gone, I'll be sad. But We're going to be using our brains some today, and we're just going to be looking at more of who Jesus says that he is. And so, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Lord, we love you. Thank you for just your overwhelming kindness and your love toward us. I thank you that your love is is not a love that is passive, but you are actively involved. Um, You are not some watchmaker who set the universe going and then left us to ourselves, but you love us, and you saved us. I Thank you, Jesus, for the reality of the Incarnation. I don't understand it, but I'm so grateful that you did what you did for us. I thank you for this book of John, and just look forward to what you want to teach us today. Would you help us understand? Um, Would you help us to love you with our mind this morning, with our heart, with our soul, with our strength? Lord, open our understanding. Your Holy Spirit, guide us through this passage. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Alright, so if you remember the context of chapter 5 here, Jesus has just recently healed a guy who was uh, crippled for 38 years, which is a very good thing, uh, but he, he broke a rule. Uh, he broke, and he did it on the Sabbath. He didn't break one of God's rules, he broke one of the rules that the, that the Jews had, had constructed to figure out how they're supposed to do all these things, but which were in extra and not necessary. But anyway, Jesus broke one of the rules. Anytime you uh, heal somebody and then they get mad, you're, you're probably, you know, they're doing it wrong. But that's what happened. And so they get upset at Jesus. And in verse 16, uh, it says they began to persecute him. And Jesus starts talking to them in, in uh, verses 16 through 18. And he says some things that they were mad and they go from being mad to like murderously angry uh, because he had claimed to make himself equal with God. And verse uh, 18, it said, uh, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. I guess they were trying before and now they're trying harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so that's the context of, of what we went, uh, Treb looked at last week when he looked at uh, this relationship that Jesus has with the Father, that he has this very uh, unique relationship, is that he is claiming that he and the Father are the same essence, they're the same uh, substance, and there's a whole bunch of theological words that get thrown around that confuse me, but that we're trying to explain this relationship that God the Father has with God the Son. He talks about how Jesus talks about how the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does, and the reality that uh, everything that Jesus does is an express manifestation of His love and obedience to the Father, and that everything that Jesus does is exactly what the Father does, that they act in absolute harmony and unity with one another. And so in the context of that, we jump into verse 24. and I'm just going to read 24 through30, and then we'll jump back in and walk through it. So, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself given him authority to judge because he is the son of man do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out those who have done good will rise to live those who have done evil will rise to be condemned by myself I can do nothing I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me okay y'all got that I'm going to go have a donut. So we are good. And uh, no, let's, let's jump back in and try to and walk through this together. So let's look at verse 24. So he says, I tell you the truth, or some of your versions may say truly, truly. Or if you're Tim, it says, verily, verily, I say unto thee. And uh, but what, what Jesus is saying there is, is, he's really saying in the, he says, uh, from where we get the same word, amen, amen, like let it be so, this is true. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you the truth. Anytime Jesus says, listen. Truly, truly, what I am saying is true. Anytime you read that in the Gospels, pay attention. What does he say? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So this is the Gospel, right? But look what he says. Whoever hears whose words? Jesus' words. And believes Who? Who sent me? Who's the Father? Has eternal life. He's already said that to believe in Jesus gives you eternal life. Now he's saying that to believe in the Father, who sent Him, gives you eternal life. Because the reality is that to believe or trust in Jesus or trust in the Father is the same thing, because both are God. And he says, anyone who hears the word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. So the word therefore has means to possess or to be in the possession of, it's even used in marital terms like to have and to hold, right? Like that kind of a, I've got you. And it's not just this, oh, I've got, uh, I've got eternal life, like I've got a wallet in my pocket. No, it's this concept of, of, of ownership and possession. It says, whoever believes has eternal life. What kind of life is he talking about? Eternal, well, what does eternal mean? Well, it means without beginning and without end. Right, It means something that always was and always will be. Something that will never cease, everlasting. That's what it means. So some Bibles say everlasting life. And he says, anyone who believes will have life that is without end. A life that always was and always will be. A life that never began and will never end. Okay, So, so just hold on. She's got it all figured out over there, so we'll... He says this eternal life and will not be condemned. Well, why won't he be condemned? Well, we're going to get to some of that in just a second. But it says he has crossed over from death to life, which makes a lot of sense, but I want you to, because if you're alive, right, if you have a life that never began and never ended, that is ceaseless, that is everlasting, then it doesn't make any sense for you to be dead, right? So it makes very logical sense for him to say you have eternal life, oh, and you've crossed over from death to life. But it does mention this, that there is a place that every person starts, which is dead. And then Jesus happens, and you move to life. So keep that in your thoughts, and we're going to keep going here and see what happens. Verse 25, he says, I tell you the truth. He says it again. So he said it once, truly, truly, or I tell you the truth. And he has just given the gospel, right? Explaining what happens when someone believes. Now he's going to describe that a little bit. It says, The time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So there's discussion among really smart people about what he's talking about and uh, something he's alluding to Lazarus when Lazarus is like dead and stinky and Jesus says Lazarus, Lazarus, (laughs) Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth, and dead Lazarus gets up and walks out of the tomb, okay? Uh, some people think maybe he's alluding to the resurrections that happen in and around his death and his resurrection that, that, we, that we see in, in, in other Gospels. Um, I, I think he, he may be alluding to that, but in verse 24, he's talking about something spiritual, right? He's not talking about literally dead people like in their graves in verse 24, because dead people don't hear and believe, Okay? Only alive people do. But yet you have all these alive people who were dead and then go to life. So Jesus, as he's been doing along in this whole book, he's on a spiritual plane. He's describing spiritual things. He's talking about a spiritual death and a spiritual life. And so I think that in here he is talking, and it seems, it, means to, it seems to make the most sense in the context of what he just said in verse 24, when he says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and is now come, when the spiritually dead will hear the voice of who? The Son of God, which he has been hammering at again and again. I mean, it could not, it is impossible to read the book of John and not see that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, you can ignore it, but it's there. The voice of the Son of God, they will hear his voice, and those who hear will live. I love this. I mean, you talk all these things about Jesus' voice, but he, as God, calls people out of their the death that they are in because of their sin, and he makes them alive again. It's incredible. So, okay, so he talks about the gospel, and then he talks about... Uh, the description of what happens. And then in verse 26, he says this. I think this is talking about the why or the how, excuse me. He says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Okay. So just on a surface reading, it's like, all right, that makes sense. Let's look at those words again, right? As the Father has life in himself. Okay. So you're talking about Jesus talking about God the Father. This is laying the groundwork for what we will later understand uh, and will become the doctrine of the Trinity. It took the church a while to figure that out, okay? We're not going to get into too much of that tonight, but, or this, this morning. But the Father has life in himself. In that same way, the Son has life in himself. Okay, he's talking about intrinsic life, right? Self-existent life. He's saying that, listen, the Father, he is the source of his own life. I, too, am the source of my own life. I am the source of my own existence. And when I say life, he's not just talking about biological life, but like the absolute fullness of life, both uh, essential and ethical, which belongs only to God as the author and the creator of life. The concept of the sanctity of life that you hear that talked about comes from this idea that God is the one who is the giver of life. Even scientists and all of our brilliance, we can put all these things together and they decide all these things as all these. They have no idea what makes something alive, and they have a really hard time defining it. If you ask somebody, a scientist, and back them into a, not back them into a corner, but just talk to somebody and say, okay, where does, when, how does something go from not being alive to being alive? We know when something dies— But how does it get life and conscience? You know, how does a tiny, single-celled organism know how—it's alive and moves around and eats and makes other little microorganisms and stuff. How? Well, the Bible says that God gives them life. But look at—think about this. Can you imagine if just a regular person said this? Let's just put this all into context. Let's say you're at a luncheon somewhere, and uh, you meet Carl, and Carl's a nice guy, and And you say, hey, Carl, uh, you know, it's really nice to meet you. Um, Where are you from? And Carl says, you know, that's a, I'm glad you asked. That's a good uh, question. So I I am actually the, the source and the sustainer of my own life. I am the intrinsic source and cause of my own existence. I never began and I will never end. And here I am. Uh, by the way, uh, also everything that came into being, I did that. And nothing that has its being did not come to existence except through me, which is what John says about Jesus. I'm also the guy who sustains the entire universe, which is what Colossians tells us about Jesus. And I'm Carl. Uh, could you imagine? What would you Honestly, what would you think about Carl? I mean, you want to poke him and be like, Hey, uh... Or you'd want to maybe punch him and see if you can knock him out and be like, hey, there you go, life giver. Uh, it would be utterly insane. Why? Carl can't back that up. Carl was born in, in, in Cleveland or whatever. And he, there was a time, you see, when Carl didn't exist. Everybody in this room can say that you're alive right now. If you can't, we need to call somebody. But everybody in this room can say, if I ask you, are you alive? You can all say, Yes. But none of us can claim to be the cause or the source of our own existence. Only a lunatic would say that. I mean, like a full-on nutjob could say that. Because there was a time when I did not exist, when you did not exist. Right? When you were, you were not. And then some things happened, and you existed. Right? And now you are. Jesus is saying that he is very distinct from us. Are you seeing this? He is saying, as the Father has life in himself, so do I have this intrinsic, self-existent life in myself. Okay. Are you tracking with me? Sort of? It's a lot to take in. I don't even know that I understand what it is that I'm saying. But this is what Jesus is saying. And so let's keep going. And we're going to get back to why this is important in just a second. The next thing he says after he says this, and sometimes I feel sorry for the Pharisees because they're a little outmatched um, when it comes to Jesus. And uh, he says in verse 27, after he says, I have this self-existent life, he has given him, uh, the Father has given him authority, given me, the Son, has given me authority to judge. Why? Why? because he is, look at this title, the Son of Man. He's just called himself the Son of God, his claim to deity. But now he calls himself the Son of Man, which is straight out of Daniel chapter 7. And it is this uh, title that has to do with his humanity. Okay, jump with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 2. Hebrews, just keep turning your your Bible the other way toward the end, and you'll get through Romans and, and Corinthians and Galatians and the the Timothys and all that stuff. If you hit James, you go too far. But we're going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 2 just for a moment, because it talks about this. If you're bored this week, or even if you're not bored, uh, read Hebrews. Uh, You can read chapter 1 today, and then two chapters every other day, and then on Sunday we can talk about all the amazing stuff you learned from Hebrews. Uh, Maybe you can explain it to me. So, because there's a lot in there I don't get. But Talking about uh, Jesus and laying the, uh, the groundwork for Jesus being a perfect high priest for us, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, uh, it says this, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, this is what Jesus is claiming, by the way, should make the author of their salvation, which is Jesus, perfect through suffering. Okay. Both the one who makes men holy, which is Jesus, and those who are made holy, which is us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is a human. He is fully human, and he is fully God. So jump down to verse 17. It says, uh, verse 16, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, which is us. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it just blows my mind that God, in his incredible everything, this is what he does. He's not like, oh, I'm just going to fix everything. No. Jesus, in, we already talked about this. We're not going to get into it in John chapter 1. He, he, the incarnation happens, right? And that's what this is talking about. He, he became like us. He became a human. He was perfected through suffering. The one who makes men holy and the ones he makes holy are of the same family. He calls us his brothers. In every way he was like us so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in the, in the service of God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Look at the context of what he says back in uh, John 5, 27. He says, And he... Has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, don't you judge me? You have no idea what it's like to be me. Right? You ever heard that? Um, I've heard that. No human can say that about Jesus. That argument has been utterly removed from the discussion. No human, when Jesus judges them, can say, well, you don't know what it's like to be a human. Jesus can say, uh, yeah, I do. I bled and I died. I hurt. I'm a human. He can judge humanity because he is part of humanity. It's amazing. He is also God. And he's also a man. So it means that in his deity, he has all of these attributes. He is the source and author of his own life. And yet in his humanity, because he, was, he is a human, he's able to judge other humans. You tracking with me? You okay? I'm getting a lot of blank stares. So... This is what Jesus is talking about. So let's go back. We're going to jump into 24 and we're going to walk through it quickly, okay, to try to tie it all together. So Jesus goes back to 24 and he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He can say that because in believing in him, you accept him as the source of eternal life. He has the authority and the power to give a life that is without end. I don't have that kind of life. I can't have that kind of life. Jesus always had it, and always will. He is the source and the cause of life. And so He imparts life to those who believe. So you will not be condemned. Why? Because you have Jesus' life given to you, imputed unto you. He literally gives of the substance and the quality of His own life into the life of the believer. It's amazing. And because of that, we won't be condemned. Well, then, of course, he says he's crossed over from death to life. Well, that makes perfect sense. Like we talk about dead things are not alive things. And so if you have as part of your existence this sustaining eternal life, well, you've crossed over from death to life. And then, of course, he goes and he explains what that looks like, that you hear his voice and he raises you spiritually from the dead. I can do that because I have life in myself. I am self-existent. And I have authority to judge everybody because I'm one of you. Amazing. So then verse 28, this makes me laugh because he says, don't be amazed at this. Um, Which, of course, I'm amazed at it. And so uh, I guess I don't know if I'm disobeying, but it's like, uh, he says, do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So he's already said something similar to this, right? In verse 25. Uh, But I think he was talking about Something spiritual there. And here he is not just talking spiritual. Because listen to his words. There's some very distinct differences. He says, when all who were in their graves hear his voice. He doesn't say all. And he doesn't say in their graves before. He does say dead. But he says, and come out. And then there's this, this, there's this distinction. In verse 25, he just says, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. And here he says, all who were in their graves will rise. Those who have done good will rise to live Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. He also doesn't say there is a time is coming and has now come. He just says a time is coming. And if you read the rest of the Bible, uh, in particular, I mean, the book of uh, uh, Revelation is very clear on this, that there is a resurrection of all people. There is a resurrection of believers, and that is a resurrection to life. And there was a resurrection of the dead who died not in Christ. And that is a resurrection to judgment and to condemnation because their names were not found in the book of life. And I'll be real honest, uh, there's a huge part of me that wishes that that wasn't in there. I don't like it because there are people that I love who do not know Jesus. I don't mean like they got saved at church camp and then are walking away from Jesus or that they— I mean who all their life have rejected Jesus. I want you to turn with me to uh, John, back a page to John three nineteen. 19. It's at the end of when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He says, this is the verdict. This is the true thing that I have said. This is the judgment that has come down. Light has come into the world. Men loved the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for what? For fear that his deeds will be exposed. The reality is that your deeds are going to be exposed anyway. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. And verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Why? For God's wrath remains on him. See, the, this is the stark reality. Without faith in Christ, you're already under condemnation. That's what John 3, 17 and 18 talk about. Because of our sin, we're under the just penalty of the wrath of God. Which, if you read the Bible at all, the wrath of God is not like a hug. It's very awful. But it's just because God is good and God is just and he judges Evil. We all want God to judge someone else's evil, right? I just don't want him to judge my own. I want him to forgive my own. But this is the reality of the gospel. When Jesus says, you have crossed over from life to death, that only happens when you hear and believe. That's it. That word believe in here is is the verb pistuo, and it happens 99 times in the book of John. It is probably the critical verb in the whole Bible. That is why John wrote the whole book that you would hear about Jesus and believe on his name and be saved. This is what we're supposed to be about. You understand me? This is all that Jesus cared about. Yes, he cared about the glory of the Father. Yes, he cared about all these things. Yes, this is why he came. It's the reason why he came because people were dead dead in their sin, and he came that they might believe on him and have life, because he knows that one day he is going to shout out, and every person will raise out of the grave. I don't mean a zombie apocalypse, all right? I mean, he's going to raise people, and it says that the dead, the sea will give up their dead. Everyone who has died, I promise that Jesus can find all the bits and pieces and put you back together, and raise you up for judgment. It's just what the Bible says. And like I said again, a huge part of me wishes it wasn't true, but my job is not to tell Jesus how he's supposed to do it. My job is supposed to live, I'm supposed to live my life by the truth of what he says. So it says this in verse 30. By myself, I can't do nothing. Which kind of blows me away. Because in this just few verses, we've learned all these things about who Jesus is. He is the self-existent author of his own life. He is is truly God. Uh, He has no beginning and no end. Uh, He has the authority to judge all of mankind. All of mankind, Jesus will judge them for what they do. And he will judge them justly because he is the son of man. And then he goes back and says, by myself, I can do nothing. Now, he doesn't say he's unable to do anything, but Jesus, because of his utter dependence upon the Father, would never act independent of the Father. He never acted independently of the Father. And he says, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. Why is it just? For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Could there be a more contrary thing to what goes on in my own heart every day? I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. <laughs> um, this particular verse has just tortured me all week um, because I, I realized it's like this um, background chirping, like, a, like an alarm that's just going off in the back of my brain all day long. And everything I do, the Lord is like, are you doing this to please you or to please me? And I'm like, oh, ugh. I'm doing it to please myself. You know, and it's like, okay, what are you going to do about it? Oh, at every single—and I just realized how much of the hours of the day that I am awake that I spend just trying to make sure that I'm happy. And Jesus never did that. He seeks not to please himself, but him who sent me. There is this correlation, right, between Jesus, his relationship to the Father. And we'll see this uh, as—this is a theme that's going to be developed more and more throughout the book of John, but— as Jesus is related to the Father, as he walks in dependence, as he walked uh, in utter submission to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. As Jesus walks with the Father, so we are supposed to walk with Jesus. That's what he says. And later on in John, he'll say, uh, as I am the Father one, you and I are one. I and you and you and me. Just like the Father is in me, I will be in you. Jesus walked with the Father and said, by myself, I can't do nothing. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. That is how we are supposed to walk with Jesus. Plain and simple. And when you say, well, that's really hard, Jesus says, I know. Yeah. Remember, I did it. I'm a human, just like you. I was tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin. And because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, he's able to come to our aid when we are tempted to seek to please ourselves and not him who sent me. Because make no doubt about it, Jesus has sent us. Whew, my brain is sore. Um, what do we do all this? Well, you could pull out about a library's worth of stuff probably. <clears throat> if you're a believer, I want you to rest in the assurance of your salvation. Every believer doubts. It is part and parcel of being a believer. Uh, the, the entire book of Hebrews was written to believers so that they would, instead of doubting, keep believing, right? In all their struggles and all their ups and downs, they would go to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in their time of need so that they would keep believing. You throw all your theological stuff around, I don't know. All I know is that as I walk with Jesus, I doubt. I wake up some mornings and I'm like, is all this, did you really raise from the dead? Because if not... I'm going to go get drunk or something because this is hard. Um, But he did. He really rose from the grave. He really did. He really has given you eternal life. Look what he says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. If you have believed on Jesus, you are in the possession of a life that never started and will never end. You are in the possession of a life that... Always was and always will be, and you're in possession of it because Jesus has given Himself to you through the regeneration of the Holy by the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. You have Christ's life in you, and because you have His life in you, He will not condemn Himself, so He will not condemn you. You are condemned, but He He took your condemnation on Himself. And he paid that penalty, and you have crossed from death to life because Jesus overcomes the greatest thing that humanity can never overcome. We, in all of our brilliance and in all of our our passion and in all of the things that we can discover and create and manipulate and do and think and make, we cannot conquer death. Everyone still dies. Okay? You go to the Dagum Cancer Ward, you go to a, a children's hospital. People die. We cannot defeat it. We've stretched life out a little longer. We live longer than we used to, but not a whole lot longer. I mean, really. It's not like there's somebody who was alive in 1520 in, in who's still walking around. They're dead. Their bodies, dust or dirt or whatever happens when you go on the ground. And so, we cannot conquer death. It's outside of our capacity to do it. Christ did. Because he is the author and sustainer of all of life. He is the source of his own life. And because it's an eternal life, there is life without end. He is one who supplies that. He conquers death for us. So if you're a believer, you have this quality of life in you. You have the actual essence of the life of Christ indwelling you, which should change how we live, right? Don't be afraid. Don't doubt. Don't worry. I'm saying all this to myself. Don't. Whatever. It's a long list. Walk in the life that Christ has given you. The flip side of that coin is if you're not a believer, you need to be. And uh, if you have not believed, today you need to do that. I want you to look at who Jesus is, and I want you to See who he says he is. He says he's the son of God. He came to die for your sins. And if you believe on him, you will be saved. If you don't, uh, you won't be. And one day after your body dies, he will raise you up from the grave and he will judge you because of your sin. And he will judge you justly because he's one of us and he won't be able to back talk to him. You'll just be condemned. So believe and be saved. Uh, I want you to remember that this life is not all that there is. When he says that the son has life in himself, um, we, uh, we learned, uh, yesterday that, a, a, an old friend of ours from, um, uh, from a church I grew up in, she was driving, uh, back from a, a lake house, her and her husband were going to retire, and they were building a lake house to retire at, driving on the highway, guy crossed over the lane, bam, she died, and he didn't. Um, she's gone. Her body's dead. She is with Jesus. Her spirit is with the Lord. And he will one day, look at this, he will call all who are in their graves. The word there for grave is where we get the English word mnemonic, like a mnemonic device to remember something. And it means a physical thing that we use to remember the life of a person and to honor their memory. Uh, Jesus does not need the grave markers to know where everybody is. He's not like got a map and go, oh, I lost lost Carl. Uh, It's not like that. It is... That Jesus will physically raise everyone who's ever lived from the dead. And that this life is not all that there is. That you live and you die, as the song just said, until he calls me home or he returns, here in the power of Christ I stand. That's what it is about. This life is short. Praise Jesus, because it can be really sucky at times, all right? I'm just anybody who thinks it's not, isn't living very whatever, uh, it's hard. Life is difficult, and, but this life is not all that there is. There is an eternal life. We are created for these bodies to live forever. These bodies have to kind of die, and then our spirit goes to be with Jesus, and then he will re- resurrect us from the dead, and we will have an eternal life with Jesus on a new heaven and a new earth. That's the reality of things. So live in that perspective. Live in the perspective of people you talk to and that they matter. Because this faith and this life that we believe actually really matters. Truly, truly, I say to you that if you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life and not be condemned. You've passed from death to life. It actually, truly, genuinely, practically matters. The last part is one I didn't really want to talk about because it makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, Seek not to please yourself, but to please him who sent you. Um, that uh, will make your whole life different. This, what Jesus is talking about is walking in utter dependence, an absolute surrender in him. To go to the Garden of Gethsemane, so to speak, and lay your life before him and say, not my will, but your will be done. To go to the cross with the joy set before you, to please him who sent you. To deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Oh, I long, Trev and I, we we ache and pray and long to be a church that does that. To be a church full of people who say by ourselves, we can do nothing but in surrender, absolute surrender to Jesus. He can do all things through us that he wants to do. And that we do not seek to please ourselves, but to please Jesus who sent us. There's a lot in uh, that passage. There's way more than we could get into today. So we're going to take a few minutes and we're just going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to do a couple things. And just stay in your seat. You don't have to come up here. I mean, if you want to come up here, you're welcome to. But um, let's, let's just pray and bring this before the Lord. Lord, I love you. I thank you that you are so far above my capacity to comprehend who you are. It's like looking into the night sky and I see there's stars and I know that there's billions of galaxies out there past where I can see, but I just lack the capacity to see it. And when I look into the incarnation, this incredible God-man that you say that you are, I don't understand, but I believe it. I believe it because you say that it is true. And if you are a believer here today and you're listening to my voice, I want you to rest in the assurance of your salvation. You cannot earn it. You cannot misplace it because it's, the source of it is Jesus. Just trust in the Lord and walk in the freedom He's given you. If you are not a believer, I, I, I beg you today, right now, consider what Jesus has said. That you are dead in your sins and condemned already. You are already under the wrath of God. Consider who Jesus is and trust in him and him alone to save you and he will give you new life. Do that now. It doesn't that have to be some magical prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. I let go of all the things that I trust in to save me and I trust you. I don't know where your life is right now, but I, 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 I take this moment right now and I want you to ask the Lord to give your perspective, to give you his perspective on life and people, that he created people to live forever and that we would engage people in the reality of our eternity with them. We would treat them with the kindness that we would treat them when they're not all messy. We would treat them with the love and the respect that they deserve when we're not all broken and stupid. And we would treat them with the utter That we should have for the lost, that we would see people as God sees them, we would give everything and anything to win just one of them to Jesus. And I want you to take just a moment right now. I want you to look to the Lord, to look what He did, and to know that He indwells us. The Holy Spirit, we are His temple. And that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And that means that he has given us everything we need to walk in absolute surrender to him. To walk in absolute dependence upon him and him alone. And if you have walked that way before and are not right now, do it now. If you have never done that before, take right now and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. I don't know what that means, I don't know what that looks like, but I give up, I give in, I surrender. Make me yours. Lord, we love you and we thank you. You are good. You are life. We believe in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.